0: Welcome to Pioneers, the show where we explore the intersection between humanity and AI. I'm your host, Ankur Patel. Over the last 10 years, I've built three AI startups, written two books about the subject, and I run a weekly AI newsletter. I also regularly teach and speak about the topic at conferences. This technology has grown faster than I think any of us could have imagined, and it's making us ask really important questions, such as, how ethical is AI? What will this technology look like in a few years, let alone a few months? And most importantly, does it have the power to truly change the world? And what does it mean for you? On this show, I'll be interviewing the founders, operators, and pioneers that are introducing AI into their companies and industries. We'll be asking them the really heavy-hitting questions that make them dig deep into the core of what we do. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Today, I want to welcome our guest, Byron Matthews, the CEO of Talent Inc. Uh, Talent has been a client of Multimodal for the last several months. We've gotten into some really interesting AI work together. Uh, but start, to start off with, uh, Byron, um, could you maybe just go through your origin story, how you got to where you are today?
1: Sure. Well, it's great to be here. So I pre- certainly appreciate that. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the CEO of, of Talent Inc. But really, my journey here, I primarily, my entire career, have been in B2B and primarily go-to-market, kind of large-scale Salesforce-type projects and and work. Um, Talent was a kind of a new venture for me in terms of getting in the consumer space. But before this, I was CEO of a company called Miller-Hyman, which we just helped people uh, sell better. So kind of a sales performance business, sold that business to Corn Ferry. And prior to that, just really head of sales at Aflac, head of sales at Mercer, Accenture for 11 years, all around sales work. But really the catalyst for me here was what I loved about Miller Hyman was helping people sell and make more money. I mean, that was really just an awesome part of the journey there. And so when I sold the business to Corn Ferry, I wanted to do something in that spirit of just kind of helping people. And when talent came along, which is at its core is a career services business, helping people succeed in their career, find new jobs. It was super inspiring, and between that and re- really getting into the direct-to-consumer space was a new challenge for me, and that's really what kind of drove me to, to the next step with talent.
0: I, I think that's great, Byron. And I think what's really interesting is that you have an extensive sales background, mm-hmm. and for a lot of people that come from a non-technical background like marketing or sales, um, AI can be very daunting because it is, at its core, very deeply technical. But I think um, you've done a great job of getting up to speed on where AI could be impactful and incorporating that into your business. So maybe high level, um, let's just talk about uh, how you've uh, approached AI, how you've been able to get up to speed and ultimately bring that to talent.
1: So that's a good question. I mean, I think from my perspective, You know, we're a pretty fast-growing business, so we're doing really well. We're growing. We're acquiring a lot of businesses. We have a lot of various different brands underneath the Talent Inc. Talent Inc is kind of a holding company. got a ton of different brands underneath it. And as I really thought about bringing everything together and adding value to our clients and our customers, um, AI in the background was just starting to get so much noise. Like, people were talking about it, and it felt – and by the way, we were using kind of two AI models inside of our business for – for a, for a while. And it as a leadership team we kind of got together and we just had this offsite session where we just focused on what are some things that we should be thinking about related to AI and honestly what are some of the things we don't understand about it. And that's that last part is really what got us more educated and pushed our thinking and we really looked at it. I'm sure a lot of businesses look at it the same way. There's you know two very stark contrast there's there's how it can truly genuinely increase the production of your business whether that's on the revenue side or efficiency on cost and then there's the threat part of like honestly what it could mean in terms of the downside and so when we did that mapping and kind of looked at the whole thing it was obvious that the only way this was going to be a net ad is if we leaned in really hard and we you know immediately jumped on the efficiencies piece which are which are pretty easy And then really thought creatively and as most creatively as possible around what it could mean on the product side. How can this really amplify our impact to our customers? And what are some of the things we should be pioneers around? Like, what are the things we should be first? And we just leaned in. And so as I kind of think back now six to eight months since we started that and given kind of the stuff we've already had, I could not be happier with where we are right now. I mean, we, it's, it's by far a, a net positive for us. Um, and I don't see that journey really slowing down anytime soon. Yeah,
0: no, I love the way you phrased it because I think there are two ways to think of AI. It's introducing operational efficiency, which in many cases is a low-hanging fruit. It's uh, yeah. identifying areas that a lot of people are involved where technology can add efficiency and productivity. But the other one is very beautiful, which is it enables new product capabilities, new features that weren't even possible before AI. And that becomes truly revenue generating. It, becomes, um, it opens up opportunities. Right? And I think many of the applications uh, that, that we haven't even seen will come about uh, to light uh, only as people start really getting involved with AI. Right? So like, there's a lot of uncertainty there, but that's where potentially maybe even the bigger opportunity is. But let's talk about the first piece, the operational efficiency, because uh, it seems like it's the low hanging fruit, particularly for businesses. And how did you go about the calculus essentially of uh, or the calculations really go through and say, these are the areas where we think there's operational efficiency to be had and AI would be right for it?
1: I mean, for us, that was really simple stuff. I mean, I don't want to, you know over-engineer this. I mean, it was one of these things where the kind of team got together, take marketing, for example. I mean, I'm sure tons of people are thinking about this. For us, it became a reality really quickly. We have a huge content team. I mean, we, we are, you know, a big part of the, the lead machine underneath our businesses is SEO. Mm-hmm. And with that is content. And so we have a pretty significant apparatus around all that. And really quickly, it was easy. To, to be able to kind of bring together both the human touch, as well as AI, to not only increase the amount, but just the, the innovation around the content, the type of content, um, and the speed in which we were getting it out. Um, and we, so we did all of that cheaper. Um, it doesn't mean that we're outsourced 100%. So I'd be clear, it's not like we just use AI to just generate our content. That's not what we do. But we use it in combination with our writers And we're just getting higher quality, quicker, more output. And they have a whole process now that we were able to cut costs 35% within two months, three months. And that for us was a pretty big number. And and it was really, really meaningful. So that is just the easiest example that I can give. Now, we've got more unique things within our team. So, for example, um, we write couple hundred thousand resumes for people probably even more than that but let's just say a couple hundred thousand resumes a year where historically you know people would give us their resume we would do a review oh by the way we use ai for that um we have expert writers kind of on top of that 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 also look at those reviews then um they come in we try to convert them to hey well why don't we write it for you and we pride ourselves having expert writers that we train, that have been with us for a very, very long time, um, that write these resumes. But it takes time. I mean, that was a, you know, it's about, I'm plus or minus like call it 15 minutes, but call it three and a half hours to write a resume. And our experts would kind of go through it back and forth with the customer. Well, now using AI, we give the writers a jumpstart. So we can actually provide them a resume from somebody who's given it to us put it through our model and it gives them a head start around what that resume, what based on what the objectives of those individuals, and it streamlines the time from three and a half hours to 45 minutes. Now the key thing, and this is like really, really material, is it's a combination of technology and human performance. And so what's ended up happening is our NPS scores have been going up. Um, And, you know, we've been doing some things with technology over the last kind of year. And the more we put in with technology to augment our writers, the quality is actually going up. So if we were to just to stop and just use the technology, I think our quality would go down. But because we're able to kind of wrap some technology and AI around our expert writers, we're getting way more efficient with higher quality. So that's just... And that's a really, really, really material part of our business. Um, and so being able to go from 30, you know, three and a half hours to 45 minutes while quality goes up, it's, you know, unbelievable. And I mean, just to kind of cut through how we, how we would do that, let's say we have 100 writers and now let's say we need 30 writers. Well, we take the top 30. So our best writers are now touching all of our customers' resumes. And it's just, it's, it's outrageous in terms of the, 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 the quality now that we're able to do. And, you know, AI gets us 75 to 80% there. And then the writers really kind of take it to the next level.
0: No, I think that makes makes a lot of sense I think I think uh, the fear that many people have is that AI is just going to replace humans entirely yeah. and that's not true, especially for the people that are most talented um, have the most domain expertise, they get empowered by AI and it, it enables them to be superhuman at what they do so as you said, the very best it enables them to do really great work. Um, how are you thinking about? Um, the impact it has on uh, the labor, right? The talent that's there. So what happens to the 70 that aren't in the top 30? Um, How do you think about, you know, basically adjustment to the labor market or maybe additional roles within your company?
1: Yeah, so I think that's a good point. So I want to make one other point and then I want to address that one. Mm -hmm. Um, The point about how people think of it as, oh, it's just the technology. Here's one interest, really interesting thing we review resumes for free. So people give us a resume, we review it for free. We've actually seen a decrease in quality of resumes that we've been seeing since, I'm just going to use ChatGPT or whatever people are using, because what's happening is the resumes that we're getting people, we can tell they're not right. It's not people actually writing them. It's, it's, hey, I'm using Chat to write my resume and here it is and you guys review it. And actually quality is going down when it's only technology, so that's just kind of one side thing that we're yeah. seeing as an interesting trend of actual quality going down when people we think are just using technology. So that's kind of one point um, around around the people. Listen, I mean, I, there's a lot of people have different opinions on this. Clearly, um, there's no doubt that there's the with the augmentation of AI around organizational processes. I gave a couple, without doubt, will reduce labor needs specifically in those business processes that's fact however there are other needs in terms of like if you think about how we're training some of these models like for example some of these people some of our writers have now moved to coaching and we're using coaching to train some of our models or we're using coaching to do more of the human part of our services so people are just finding other areas to move into, whether they are getting some additional skilling, reskilling, re, you know, uh, retooling yep. kind of stuff, or they're just able to kind of have mobility around various different, different parts of the organization. So we've actually found ways to leverage people in different models, um, but there's just, there's just no question that in certain business processes, there will be less labor needs. That doesn't, yep. That's not a secret.
0: Yeah, and and that's true of every technological inflection point, right? And people have adjusted, it's created newer opportunities that didn't exist before. And we're seeing that on the modeling side. So to train really the very best models, you need need humans that can provide feedback and consistently provide feedback. So it helps the model realign. Um, You know, behind every OpenAI model release, there is hundreds of thousands of people that are providing feedback to those models at scale to get that alignment. Same thing happens here. Um, it's a really interesting finding that you're seeing the resume quality decrease with the advent of new technology. Um, because on, on the on the outside looking in, it feels like all of a sudden everyone can write a resume using ChatGPT, which would be a threat to to your core mm-hmm. business. But it's actually you're saying it's the opposite because too many people are relying on it, and the quality is yeah. just not there.
1: Yeah, and again, I don't know where it'll be long term. You know, and I don't. It's it's. It's hard to project that necessarily. But what I know is that, I mean, I'm drawing a couple of conclusions. I think people are leveraging some AI or or some technology to create their resumes where maybe a year or two years ago they weren't. Well, okay, let's agree that that's probably true. Well, at the same time, the the quality we're seeing is lower Mm -hmm. and coming in. And we're getting, I mean, this isn't like 10,000 resumes a month. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 800,000. Um, a month. And so it's it's pretty obvious that if you don't know how to interact with the technology and with AI, and you don't know the questions to ask or the prompts and the data to provide as an input and the back and forth it takes. And if you're just kind of winging it, you're going to get garbage in, garbage out. And I just think that that's happening in a lot of cases. And so Again, the one data point we'll use on the resume side, that's clearly what we're seeing, which is a good opportunity for us to then layer in, hey, listen, let us help you either give you some do-it-yourself tools that leverages AI that actually guides you through that process, Mm -hmm. which is important, um, helps you ask the right questions, asks for the right input, gives you the right template, all that kind of stuff, Um, or we will help do it for you in a combination of, Humans, experts really leaning in that also leverage technology. So for us, again, on on the net, it's a it's a it's a opportunity for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you've built this model or this this solution as a whole where it abstracts away the complexity. So the user doesn't need to figure out what data to provide, what prompts to provide, how to go and like make the model like perform magic you're abstracting that away so it's a it's a much better user experience and then they have the option of basically self-serving themselves so basically using the output as a starting point or they get to basically tap into the human expert writers you have that can give them a very polished final product um so that that completely makes sense as you think about the moat, right the defensibility of your business uh, where does that come from is that the data the models the entire solution
1: yeah, I think it's the whole thing. I mean, this is where we you got into what we were talking about earlier around. Is it a threat? Is it an opportunity? I can't yet wrap my head around the threat part because as I get more and more and more into this, I realize it's not turnkey. I mean, how you train the model, um, the data that you actually have, the insights your business has around what good looks like as a story related to a certain job. Like that's a, that's a really important piece of information and being able to put that in your own model to train models based on what a senior level person sounds like versus an entry level person. What, what a specific industry might sound like versus another industry and then the function and the job, right? So if you think about level of seniority, the industry and the actual job, the combination of those three things matter. Well, what, what does it take to learn those things? Data training time. And so if you think about us writing 20, 30,000 resumes a month where technology helps create the beginning, the human expert finishes it, you give it back to the model to it then learn. And you do that 20,000 times, you do that for industries, for jobs, like that's a moat, like that's no one's going to just whip that up. And so our ability to tell a unique story that's specific to somebody's need all day long. You know, our, our models will will ultimately beat out anything that's publicly available or certain what anyone else is trying to build. So I look at it as an advantage. Like without that, again, it's an operational mess. You've got to have thousands and thousands of writers. you got to make sure you get the right writer with the right industry, with the right, yeah. you, you know, you miss on that sometimes because that's like an operational, you know, trick. So this is just really, really good for us.
0: Yeah, uh, that makes sense. It's, it's the better data you have, um, the the better the model becomes, which means that the better the starting point is versus like mm-hmm. a you know, closed source model, like OpenAI's model. And then because you have everything else that you bring to the table, including human expert writers and the other adjacent services, um, you start building a defensibil- defensibility through that, through the overall offering. Um, yeah. And I do think this is an area where basically it's the winner starts uh, getting stronger over time, right? The strong gets stronger because they have a flywheel loop of getting great data, which makes the model better, which means they get more users, which means they get more data, which makes the model better. Right. And so it gets perpetually uh, more, uh, more performant over time versus say like an open AI model.
1: Even. Yeah. And I think the differentiation's in two things. So it's that flywheel you're talking about, which is key. If, if you have the right process that has the data, and the learning, and that just keeps going and building on its own. Clearly that's one. But the second piece is, and if you use that model in the context of experts, of expertise, and if you're able to do that, so you have the expertise plus the model, I mean, that is so defensible. So I think it's it's more than just the technology. It's how you use it in the context of expertise, of what your business brings, um, makes it with the combination of those two things really unique.
0: Yeah. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. But how do you ensure that resumes don't all get saturated and don't look identical and similar to each other when all of them are being generated, perhaps by the same AI? model?
1: Well, I mean, again, I think it's, it's the context of what someone's trying to achieve that puts it into a unique spot. So when we get a, re- or when we, Do something for somebody, whether it's to do it yourself or we're doing it for them. um, There's questions we ask. We need to understand what you're really trying to achieve. we try to understand that person and what story are they trying to tell? That context makes the difference. So, again, there's kind of those three dimensions. You know, are you entry level? Like, what level are you? Expertise? What industry and then what function are you trying? Like, what job are you trying to get? That plus the what are you actually trying to achieve? Like what is, what is your career goals next? And then we bring that into what is then the resume. There's no way that would ever be duplicated or get watered down or anything because that extra goal that, you know, what am I trying to achieve? Creates kind of the voice inside of the resume. And it's not just resume, it could be in a cover letter, it could be in your LinkedIn profile, it could be in your interview and how you talk about yourself. So it's about all ways you brand and tell your story where that kind of comes out.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I, I, think, I think that's right. It's, 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 it's dialed in for what they're trying to do, given the industry and given the seniority that they have. Um, on the other side, how do you make sure that the writers and, and the team that you have stay up to date with uh, learning how to use AI tools, learning how the new models work? Um, what's that learning curve look like for them?
1: Well, um, I mean, honestly, you guys have been helping us with that. I mean, I think, you know, we had when we started this whole journey, we again had two models that were kind of baked into the business in terms of our resume critique and um, our interview prep in terms of building custom resumes on the fly using AI to kind of generate the right questions. Those were kind of around and we had some limited expertise around understanding those models um, and how to evolve those models. But as we really leaned in to, okay, let's really get after this and let's really put AI in the forefront of our product and the experts around our product. Um, We needed help, obviously. I mean, I I think the partnership that we've had has been pretty clear around that. And, you know, you guys helping us navigate various methods to get to our end state from starting with, you know, an open AI model to get us going to really understanding how to really get the inputs and the outputs and the prompts and making sure that we've got the right kind of process around this working uh to then building our own models so that we can take advantage of the uniqueness i i think in which models to start with i mean you guys have been have been instrumental in kind of helping us learn but ultimately those are those are you know strengths we are building internally um is to begin to understand these trade-offs and why we would do one thing over the other and how to get started on these projects um, so they don't feel daunting frankly yeah um that's been a learning process that we've been going down with you guys. But I think, it, you know, we, you've, we've been together now, I don't know, three or four months. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that the team is getting up to speed. And I think over the next few months, we'll be in a position to, to really kind of start making some of our own decisions in some of these things.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think the in you know, a lot of a lot of business leaders, what they struggle with is they know AI is the next thing, right? I think they, they don't deny it; um, they understand that the challenge is which use cases to start with, which feels like you you, know, you did that that uh, calculation yeah. by meeting with the larger team, but then it's time to impact, time to ROI, right? I think because it is a material expense, internal resources, potentially external resources you're paying yeah. for different models, third-party models, let's say uh, you're setting up different compute infrastructure. So the amount of time and dollar investment is substantial. How are you thinking about the ROI? You know, have you started to see some of that? Uh, what does that path look
1: like? Yeah, you know, so there's kind of a couple different buckets. I mean, for me, as I thought about the investments, you know, it, it's there's obviously – being very responsible and understanding, okay, so what is the return? What is the time? What is it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And some it's easier than others. Like some it's it's, it's obvious, like the resume writing. Mm-hmm. That's a math equation. It's really simple. We know how long it takes and what it costs to write a resume today or before. And we think the efficiency can get us to here. And that saves us this, and this is how much we're gonna put into it. And here's the ROI, like really simple math. That was yeah. easy. Um, we have five ongoing projects, like significant model development projects going on right now. Two are already in, in production right now. So we'll have uh, seven models by the time this whole thing's done. But um, more, I would say, three of the ones that are going on right now are exactly what I'm talking about, which is it's very clear cut to me. I understand the ROI. We've done the math. It's clear. But we made a decision uh, on two to really just give it a shot, you know, meaning this is something we think can be a game changer for the industry, for the business, for people related to career services. I don't know yet how exactly it's going to take off. I don't know how it will connect to other parts of our products and pull in services yet. I don't quite know. Um, But I know that it's got a really uh, high potential, you know, we've done, we, we did some survey work with our customers around what sort of things would you like to see? And some of their answers, like, for example, coaching, it costs money, like, okay, sure, but here's a couple hundred dollars for a session. That's not what they were talking about. So it, how do we really get to an AI model that is really relevant in terms of its ability to add value um, while still pulling in services at the right time? Not sure how that's going to work out yet. I mean we're, we're in the process of kind of thinking through that uh, together, but that's okay for me. Like for me, it's like if I, if I could take it up, a flyer, you know make a couple of big bets on a few of these, as long as I know that these three are well in the you know, ROI kind of view, I'm, I'm in good shape. And I think it's right for our business to make some of those bets.
0: Yeah, I love that because I think you've you've identified areas where there's more clear ROI because it's like a very clear cut workflow with volume and you're automating Mm -hmm. it, you're creating efficiency, and that gives you more confidence to take bigger open ended bets. Saying, well, what if we do AI in this area, another area? The ROI is less clear cut, but because you've seen success from AI in a couple of areas, you're able to kind of go and take a leap leap of faith in some ways into other builds. Um, I think that makes a tremendous amount of sense, and I think that's a really good blueprint for other business leaders to draw upon. Uh, how do you think about um, cannibalization of the business? So one of the worries, uh, based on what you're describing, is um, you have a self-serve product for resume writing, and then you have the human expert writers. You have human coaching and potentially AI coaching. And how do you think about, well, is AI going to cannibalize some of the existing business? Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't think of it like that. I think of it as just helping people. And whether they prefer to do it themselves or they prefer support is really what it's more about versus I have a higher margin on this or versus that. Because I think that the more we help, the more customers we end up having, and the longer they're going to stay with us. Whether that's, you know, let me do a one-time transaction because I need you to help me, versus I'm going to engage with you in a do-it-yourself on a subscription model. I don't honestly think of it as, well, I want to push more over here than over here. I just want more customers. I just want to satisfy more people. And then they'll stay longer. They'll use us longer. Whether it's all do it yourself, that would be great. I mean, I have no problem with that. I understand that it's a lower priced product, but if you're getting what you need in terms of being able to tell your story, that's perfectly fine because ultimately there might be a time down the road where where you do need that uh, that that help i'd rather have that option than only having a transaction option where i might turn off so many people because they don't want to pay that one time you know higher price product so i think it's just about impacting more people giving them more options and more flexibility for their needs i i don't think there's a cannibalization issue whatsoever
0: yeah Yeah, and i think it's very clear cut that when used well ai is going to do such great good for candidates because now they're getting better resumes, which means that they'll find the right job faster, um, they're, you know, they find their dream job faster, mm-hmm. and then, and then they're just be, be- they better as candidates in the labor market, right, using all, all the products that you have as a business. How do you think about breaking the episodic um, cycle that typically exists with uh, perhaps a, with products like yours where candidates come to you when they're looking um, for mm-hmm. a job search to write a resume, yeah. but then when they're in a job, they may not need your products anymore for that, at least yeah. for that duration.
1: Well, that is really important in, in terms of what we're trying to solve for. I mean, we think about our value proposition as three, three different kind of use, big, broader use cases. I'm needing to need to find a job. I want to excel in my job, and I'm kind of looking for a change in my career. It's those last two that, that we're really leaning in now to try to get right, um, and it's super exciting. I mean, this is where kind of data and some of the models we're contemplating can be getting into next year could really make a difference. If you think about, if you, I mean, just think about this for one second. Um, people in their jobs, they go to a, you know, they have an annual review where at the end of the year they get they're told their raise, they get told how good they're doing, and maybe if they're in line for a promotion. And it's just kind of a process. And the yeah. bigger the organization, the more structured they are in this thing where, you know, some large organizations come with data that says, hey, you know, we're going to give you this percent of raise and this is why and blah, blah, blah. blah. Well, employees walk into that stuff completely blind. I mean, like whatever happens, happens. They don't come in with a point of view that says, well, wait a minute. I'm paid at the 50th percentile, but wait a minute. People at my level, in my experience, are actually a level higher. And well, wait a minute. You know, I've got skills that mean they don't come ready to battle for yourself. They, they just kind of take whatever that company says. So this idea of empowering people with data and insights is really where we're trying to take this and where we're taking our product to get people to just think about this as a resource, no matter where they are in their journey. Mm -hmm. Now, AI is a massive, massive role to play related to learning about people's progression. So really training a model around, okay, you know, I've got this many years experience, I've got these skills, I've got this interest, I'm built this way in terms of my DNA. And I have this, these are the typical paths people like me actually take. And here's the skill progression, and the titles and the various different salary and all the different, different things being on like really, really understanding that, which would obviously be very a dynamic view um, mm-hmm. is important. And so Being able to provide that data to people is the next step for us in a very proactive, very action oriented way that I think could be a game changer if people really leverage that stuff. And so that's really how and where we're taking the business.
0: I think two questions naturally come from that, because I think there's been a lot of interest in the space that you're talking about, which is, mm-hmm. can you empower candidates with data so they could mm-hmm. go and negotiate their comp better or their equity package better? And, and you see success from companies like Pay, right, where, where they're mm-hmm. benchmarking yeah. candidates. Um, they're helping employers figure out what to dole out in terms of comp and, and equity. And then on the other side, candidates get some perspective, right? So um, I think that that's amazing. It seems like the side of the market that you lean towards is the, the candidate side. But what about the employer side, potentially? And you know, I, you know, I think about human resources and yeah. job descriptions that they have for open positions. What should they have in their JD? Yeah. Uh, how should they pay their people so they're competitive mm-hmm. in the market? Um, do you have a plan for that at all?
1: So here's the deal. Um, I mean, I kind of grew up in that space a little bit. I mean, I spent a lot of time at Mercer. Um, had a stint at Corn Ferry. Uh, there are large, large businesses with tons of data and tons of infrastructure. A very crowded market trying to help employers, uh, yeah. whether that's on the data side, technology, you know, HCM systems, like all that stuff. Like that's all that's all well, well thought about. What is underappreciated is empowering the employee, mm-hmm. is getting them the data. No one's no one's obsessed with that. Uh, everyone's obsessed with the employer. And so honestly, I'm going to let the, um, all these other companies focus on the employer. For me, it's about the people. It's about the, the, the employees, the candidates, and really obsessing about them. I mean, even big job boards, they all make their money from employers. Um, and candidates are kind of a, second, a secondary thought. Everything we want to do is about the people and giving them the right data and being completely, and this is the most important thing, completely unbiased. I don't wanna be biased in terms of data I show them uh, because I'm being paid by an employer. I don't wanna show them a job because if, if they were to click on that job, they get, we get paid. It's not what we wanna do. Um, we wanna be completely unbiased and when you are completely unbiased and uh, solely focused on the candidate, the amount of opportunity right now from where we are today to what's possible is a massive, massive amount of space to take. And that's what we're really, really obsessed in doing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a phenomenal answer because you want to stay in your lane, you want to serve the market where there's a bigger opportunity. And I think it truly does break the episodic uh, mold, yeah. which is candidates need you throughout their career, even, especially when they're working for an employer as they're working to get the next raise, understanding what, the, what it takes and basically what, what they should be asking right? Because they're armed with yeah. good good data. What keeps you up at night uh, when it comes to AI, maybe in terms of threats or security issues? I'm just, I'm just curious, is there anything that is particular and you know, worries you about where AI is today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I mean, when we talked about threats, when we really kind of mapped this whole thing out. I mean, clearly, some competitors, I mean, let's be honest, like what, what it's done for us, is we're allowed, like, it is, has accelerated our ability to enter new capability. So we can enter the coaching market really quickly um, because of some of this technology, for example. We're able to do some things around some of our products, like, you know, assessment and psychometric testing and all stuff. Well, now we can use AI tools to kind of do some of this stuff for us. Which otherwise we would have had to go build or buy or do all these various different things so we can enter things quickly. Well, I mean, technically the same thing can happen for other folks. So now they can enter the consumer space really quickly. Um, And that's, again, what's driving our pace is we want to make sure that we continue on our career.io platform is the most advanced, the broadest, the largest capabilities, only focus on consumers in the market. We want to stay that way. But I guess if I had to say what worries me the most is AI does allow you to break down barriers real quick in getting product to market in new areas that you'd otherwise would take you a while or you would certainly contemplate doing. Um, And that could work against us as much as it could work for us.
0: Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. It's both an opportunity and a threat. And I think speed is super critical, right? Which is like Absolutely. newer technology comes online. And I felt this firsthand this year, incredible number and in, in pace of releases from both the closed source market, like open mm-hmm. AIs of the world and open source. And um, that's an opportunity because you could now go and build product uh, super fast, uh, like you're saying, coaching um, in a way that wasn't possible a year ago. But at the same time, it reduces the barriers of entry for every single player out there. And so you need to basically outmaneuver them and continue to kind of build more defensibility where you are versus the rest of the, the kind of the, the, the upstarts that come out, come out. And I think that's, that's, a, that's the threat, right? So a new technological inflection points, both an opportunity and a threat, it just kind of weaving that um, and ultimately ending up stronger than, than where you are today. So yeah, and I, I think that makes, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I may already know the answer to this to some extent, but I'm I'm curious, you know, when you look at AI, uh, a lot of people use it as marketing um, material, like now they're an AI company overnight Mm -hmm. and their valuation potentially is higher. You certainly see that with venture backed startups uh, nowadays Mm -hmm. raising money, like all of a sudden they added a .ai to their their domain or they added AI to their name and they're trying to position as an AI company. How much hype do you think is, is in the broader space when it comes to AI versus, you know, what's actually real and tangible and impactful?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the time, it's funny you say that, we own career.ai, we don't use it, it's on the shelf, like we're not, I'm purposely not trying to just roll out AI.ai just because we have it, um, I, I think that could almost work against you at times, I think it really does matter in terms of what's real or not, I think um, there's a big difference, I mean a lot of people when I talk about some of the things that we're doing with how AI's you know, helping us write resumes and really getting to that 80%, but it's that part with the human that really makes it unique and special. And you can actually talk about it, people are like, holy crap, that's actually doing it, right? I mean, that's actually using it or using AI that actually reads people's resumes and writes the critique. And like, that's actually, we're doing that at a clip of eight, nine million times a year. Um, That's what makes it real. And honestly, I don't think we should mark So we're having a big debate with, even within our team right now, we've got this AI assisted draft that's on the market right now where if you don't even have a resume, it goes back to what I was telling you before where we'll make the right prompts. We'll ask you the right questions. You know, you can voice it or you can type it and we can, you know, get you to a point where we'll give you a really, really good start of a resume for you to look at. Um, But we'll, we'll we'll kind of work you along the way. Well, we're using AI model behind that. Great, that's fine but the team's like, we should market this AI assisted draft and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. My take is, I don't know if we need to do that. Like, I don't think that's important that, it, that it's marketed as AI. I mean, this is, this is you know, technology that's gonna help you walk through a process to get you to an end. It doesn't need this big hype around it. Um, and so we're actually A-B testing now, copy on, on page that does, that really tells the user it's based on AI. Or it's just another way to help us write a resume for you, yeah. and we're kind of seeing how people react to that. Because uh, my 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 guess is that people don't care. It's about the output. It's about what the results are. And you know, this is my point about you know, if AI was only writing the resume on the writing service stuff, but you know, people we were marketing it as experts, I know we'd fail because I know that if just AI did it, it wouldn't work. Um, so I, I'm, I, I lean towards not marketing hard, the AI part, and just making the AI deliver the results at a better, more efficient way, and you'll get the value you need from just doing that well.
0: I think this is a a great debate that's still going to play out for a very long time. Like you, even among the very large tech giants, Google very much leading with uh, kind of an AI story when it comes to marketing, whereas Apple um, has a lot of AI as well. You almost will never see Apple talk about AI, and when they do, it's machine learning. It's used very, um, you know, it's a very nuanced mention to it. So um, I think it's it's a very interesting kind of thing that's playing out right now. And in some ways, I think AI, if it doesn't live up to the hype and you see a lot of like really poor AI applications that come online, yeah. AI may actually be a badge of, of concern that it's going to be generic. It's going to be global quality, right? So I think it could also do harm long-term if it's too wrapped up in the AI story. I think what users ultimately will care about is the quality of the output regardless of what's happening.
1: Yeah. In the and that's why I think our AB testing, I think it's going to prove out that not marketing AI will be a better We'll, we'll we'll have more engagement up front on the non-marketed ai version which is by the way all using ai than we will yep. with the i, I think that's going to happen i will say and, and that the, the output has been better because i mean the people love the resumes that are being written um but the up front i bet we'll even get higher engagement that's my guess yeah and i i think i think that's right you're seeing
0: AI in so many different forms across the organization, uh, across Talent Inc. There are multiple models, multiple ways that AI is being integrated with the human layer. Some is self-serve, some is packaged up into, into a final yeah. offering. And so it's not even a monolithic single AI. It's multiple AIs, uh, you're upgrading over time, right? And so the whole organization all of a sudden becomes AI-powered, but yeah. it doesn't have to be led with that in terms of marketing. Um, Exactly so, right. so switching gears here a little bit um, uh, talent Inc is a portfolio company in the Boston ventures um, uh, portfolio which is a private equity firm how do you think about uh, the AI uh, initiatives that you're taking are you seeing that across the BV portfolio is this something that is more homegrown within talent Inc alone and then you know in terms of messaging for future raises or future maybe uh, exits let's say you go public again um,
1: how does this help in the in the broader story that you have well, I mean, BV Investment Partners, which is the private equity firm that we own, did a really, really do, they, they, they do a really nice job knowledge sharing concepts. So like maybe they get our portfolio CEOs together or get various different leaders of all the different portfolio companies together and talk about topics and concepts and challenge and debate things and really get us thinking. And this was an example. I mean, this was an area where AI, they got the group together early and we had dialogue around it. To kind of get us thinking about this um and so they encourage us to lean in for sure Mm -hmm. um obviously leaning in responsibly but you know they they certainly encouraged us to do this like for example i came to the table with a fairly aggressive plan i mean i think Mm -hmm. i think in the context of other middle market companies like mine this was a bunch of big bets and um they were thoughtful and like i said a lot of them had strong strong roi components to them a couple bigger bets but it, but when you look at the grand scheme of everything it's like a lot it's, it's a lot for a middle market business um certainly a lot of change and transformation there wasn't even a blink of an eye like, they were like it makes sense and been with me the entire way throughout the journey so from that perspective i think they're encouraging a lot of that across the businesses where it makes sense um which i think is is certainly benefiting them.
0: Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, and then one of the things I really admire about what you're doing is you have very strong conviction around the technology, and you of course made bets along the way. You've built more conviction, and then you've been able to make bigger bets. But yeah. often it's hard for business leaders, particularly because AI is so new. There is so much hype, right? They don't know what to trust versus what not yeah. to, um, and so they're maybe less eager to pull the trigger. So, I mean. I, guess, I suppose, like maybe speaking to the audience, business leaders and such that we have uh, listening to this, what's your piece of advice or recommendation of how they could potentially get started with adopting AI across their business?
1: Well, I will say that uh, we haven't talked a lot about this here, but how you do it does matter too. I mean, I think the way we've partnered together around thinking about um, Getting that prototype done, getting a, you know, a, a, a viable product out there, but not finishing your own model, do, putting everything in there, spending all the money and the training, all that stuff. Like we really methodically got every project going that had abilities to make adjustments early, didn't lay out a ton of capital up front. It was just done in a very methodical way. Now, the trade-off is it takes a little while, like it takes a little longer to get to your own model and making sure it's trained on your own data. Like that comes a little later, but it still is tons of gates along the way. And that is like a really smart way of doing it so that you can try and you can fail if you need to. Uh, without there being a major problem on a capital expense or, you know, whatever you might've put into it. Uh, so that matters. I would just say the way you do it makes a huge difference. It'll, you know, if, if I would go slow, I would use an open model. I would, you know, um, do it in a way that it's not a hundred percent before you roll it out. Like the thing's got to learn, mm-hmm. build that into whatever contingencies you need to in terms of how, what it, whatever it is impacting and do it slower, more methodically so that the cost is controlled, that the adjustments can be made. And honestly, like I didn't know we'd have five going on at one time. I like, I never imagined we'd do that, but it was an easy decision to keep spitting them up because they were all individually completely under control. Yeah. And like I said, any one wasn't a massive investment. Um, and so the, I guess my only advice would be is to really, really do the research around how to do it as much as what to go do, um, equally important in terms yeah. of uh, your ability as a leader to kind of green light one of these things.
0: Yeah. I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense, Byron. And I think, you know, the kind of approach that we take here at Multimodal is, um, you know, we come from the startup world where you're building an MVP, you have to be super capital efficient, and and you're also building like the leaner versions to see, that yeah. you're getting impact as you imagine. And then if, it, if you do see impact, then you're doubling down on it. Um, you know, it's, it's not like you have to go do a 12 month, seven figure yeah. digital transformation. Like it's not big and meaty like that. It's much more scaled down. And then you're able to make bigger bets into it over time as you start seeing basically more proof, proof points along the way, right? I think that, that, that's really
1: good. But I, that. that is an approach. There is another alternative, which is I'm gonna spend a lot of time and effort training this thing Mm -hmm. building my own model, training it on all the data and everything until it's 99% perfect. And that you could go do all of that and realize it's not having the impact or you trained it on the wrong thing. Or, you know, it's, you missed the mark for whatever reason, or the markets moved by the time you were doing that, whatever it might be like that to me, again, I think a lot of leaders will lean to let's, really methodically carve this thing out and do a big project and throw a bunch of people on it and throw a date out there like that's to me is not is is that's higher risk i think the way that we've done it is again been unbelievably successful and allowed me to go more and more and more into it is i've actually been able to do more quicker because of this more Uh, methodical approach.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And the space is moving so fast that a year from now, the underlying models will change, right? A lot, not everything will change. Like the data remains intact. The infrastructure remains intact. All the learnings and know-how remain intact. But over time, you're going to want to upgrade to the latest base models, the latest foundation models to do fine tuning yeah. with and deploy with. So you have to be nimble enough and not over commit to a particular opinionated build. Because by the time you actually finish that build, it may be obsolete, right? You just have to kind of keep that in mind. Um, so I, I know we're approaching the end of the hour here, but a, c- a couple of questions, I think maybe to start off with, um, what are you doing to learn and stay informed with everything that's happening in AI, just given how fast things are moving?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's funny you say that. So. Uh, we talk a lot about it more within our teams. Uh, people bring different opinions of things they've read or things that they've heard or conversations they've been in. Uh, we've talked because now we're, we really believe we've, again, leaned in and have a lot of these models out there. As an organization, we talk about it way more. I mean, in mm-hmm. our executive leadership team meetings, we have got sessions around this. Uh, and again, everybody kind of bringing knowledge and concepts and opinions to it. So that's just challenged all of us. Uh, which has been really cool, to be honest, like really, really cool. Uh, it's been neat. The other thing is, I don't know, I guess just reading more about it. Like, so when I read things, I'll just pay more attention. I think that I did maybe a year ago or t- yeah. certainly two years ago, but even a year ago where I'd be like, ah, whatever, they're just marketing AI yeah, bullshit. But actually there's real stuff there or there's not. And I'll then I'll go check it out. Like I just, my curiosity level is just way more because I consider myself in it now. So I'm now kind of wondering what all the different players are doing, whether the big ones or what com- how companies are using some of these models. Uh, to me, it's just, it's just become – I've just become more curious.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you have skin in the game because, as you said, you're doing AI, so you want to stay informed. Whereas before, it was like – it felt like, okay, well, it's, it's, it's not something that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, it may not be applicable just quite yet. So all right. So lightning round, a couple of quick questions. Moment. What are the top three books uh, that you've read or are reading this year?
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, the coaching effects. So I'm big into kind of coaching. Um, so the coaching effects out there, uh, just read the next five moves. I think it's called your next five moves or the next five moves. Um, that's kind of cool. Uh, that's kind of recent stuff. Um, I always have a shameless plug in my own book, the sales enablement master framework. So I always read that once a year. <laughs> that's not true. actually. <laughs> that's great. That's great. I, I haven't
0: read that yet. So it will be on my docket. It will certainly give yeah, me more insight curious. how you think. Yeah.
1: leading <laughs> the sales force suit. If you are, then that's the book for you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny. i say when you're building early stage startup, um, especially someone like myself, and this is true for a lot of um, like startup founders, they are deeply technical or they come from product. They don't have great sales backgrounds. Right. So, I'm having to learn a lot of go-to-market and sales just myself. Um, and so, yeah, books like that I think are going to be incredibly valuable um, for, for founders like myself. So
1: appreciate Well, that. I always – I, I um, help teach different classes. And one of the – there's one class I always start with. I say, raise your hand if you're going to be in the sales. Of course, nobody raises their hand. And then I say, All right, fair enough. Okay, all you investment bankers, raise your hand. And then I finally get to entrepreneurs. They raise their hand. now the whole class has got their hands raised. I'm like, okay, welcome to sales. Right. You guys have got to pay attention because you guys ultimately yeah. need to bring ideas to the market, and that's called selling.
0: So. Yeah, I, I completely agree.
1: Um, well,
0: Byron, it's been, it's been a pleasure having you on this podcast. I think we dug into a lot of different themes. Um, it will be very interesting to see what happens a year or so from now where you have more yeah. AI, newer yeah. players and such. But um, well, where can people find you or more about talent? Uh, you know, if you have a call to action, we'd
1: love for hmm. our audience to hear that. Yeah, I would just go to career.io. Um that's, you know, it's, it's the brand that kind of brings everything we do into one place. It's mm-hmm. where a lot of these AI models and all the things that we're, we're putting in place, they also can be found. Um, a lot of our human services, too, can be kind of found there, too. So I, like, that's the one brand that brings all of our storefronts into one place. So just go check it out at career.io. Okay. I appreciate awesome. that. Yeah,
0: yeah, thanks, Byron. We'll, we'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. It's been a pleasure having you yeah. uh, and look forward to chatting with you hopefully a year from now.
1: Yeah. Great discussion. Thanks. Take care. Yeah,
0: absolutely.